This podcast is a production of Journey, a church community inspiring people to live big. For more information, please visit cincyjourney.org. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And at the beginning, I, I didn't do the next verse, which I always like to do too, because it goes right along with it. John three seventeen, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That's what we are here to celebrate today. That's what we are here to, to live out, to enjoy, and to share with one another, and also then to go out into the world and to share what God has done so that they too can know of His love. This might seem different to you, possibly. We had a little uh, hiccup today, if that's a good way to put it. Pastor Carney called about uh, 9.35 and said he was on the road and had a flat tire. But he fixed it. And he got back in the car. And he drove a couple more miles. And the flat went flat. <laughs> or the, the one he fixed it with, you know, the little... Those little round spare tires that, you, that never work anyway. <laughs> uh, and so there was no way. He was up near the Dayton Mall at that time. And there was no way that one of us, we thought, well, what if somebody, one of us went to get him and brought him here? It'd be too late by then. It would take more than an hour to do that. So anyway, his plan for us today was to have communion. And we want to go ahead and go through with that and to share in what Jesus has done for us. And to do that, I want to read from a passage in Isaiah 55. And I'm going to read a part of this um, before we have communion and then a little bit after we have communion as well and talk about some of the things that it is saying to us. But it is a passage, first of all, this is Isaiah uh, the prophet who is speaking to the people of Israel and talking about the benefits of serving God, of what God wants to do in our, in our lives personally and in our community. He's offering them hope. He's offering them something that will bring a new life in their midst because they had lost all hope. They had lost, in fact, they had even lost the idea that God was still with them. They had given up on everything. And Isaiah was writing to them to say, here is God's offer to you. Now, he's, he's writing in a time that's hundreds of years before Jesus. And yet what he's really writing about is Jesus. And then what he really is offering to us is the same thing that we find in Holy Communion, which we'll be sharing in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 55 Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. 
and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations that do not know you will hasten to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and He will have mercy on him. And to our God, for He will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. Here the prophet is offering something to the people of Israel that they thought they had lost. And really it was because of their unfaithfulness. They had really done it to themselves. And so that they, they, they had this idea that God had abandoned them. They knew they had sinned. And because of that, they thought that God had left them and would never come back. And God says no. In fact, the message is so strong here. The message is, I have not abandoned you. I have been with you the whole time. But it's the process of teaching you obedience and bringing you back into faithful fellowship with the Lord. Even as that song that we just sung, God is faithful to us. God is always with us. He does not leave us. He does not forsake us. Even at those times when we might feel forsaken, when we might feel abandoned. You know, one of the things very simple little illustration. I think I've shared this before, but it's, um, I think it's just so true the way it works in our life. We have ourselves and God, and sometimes there are those events that happen, those, those beautiful services or those times in our life when we feel like we are right close to God. We are right there. And yet we might take a step away because of something. Maybe we're just busy whatever it might be, but we feel like there's some distance now between us and God. And maybe it's another step for some other reason. Maybe something happens and we start to question, did God really want this to happen to me or anything like that? And maybe another step and another step until finally we're way out here somewhere and we think, what happened? How can I ever get back to God? That's really what this passage of Scripture was addressing because that's exactly what the people were feeling. They had felt like they were so far away. In fact, they were in a foreign country. The Babylonians had come and destroyed Jerusalem, carried all the people away into captivity. They thought that would never happen. God would never let His people be captured and carried away from the promised land. And yet it did happen. So they felt way out here. And God's message to them really is, 
that yes, you may have taken a step away or two steps or five steps or 25 steps, but you know what God does? Each step of the way, He's come right along there too. He comes to chase us. He comes to seek us. And all we have to do is turn around and there He is. It's not a matter of trying to get back through all the things that we've done wrong. It's simply a matter of releasing it to God. Sometimes when I come to communion, maybe I should say all the time, <laughs> I feel so unworthy. Thank God, I've, I've just... <laughs> I've been too busy this week, and I feel like now to try to come and take communion, it's too much. Or maybe it's something that I've been through, or whatever. But God offers us communion by simply us opening our hearts to Him. Yes, we need to prepare ourselves. Yes, we need to actually examine ourselves. Is there anything in our lives that is not worthy of God? That's part of communion. But we come humbly and we seek His presence and we bow before Him and we receive from His hand the grace and mercy and love that He so freely offers us. We call this an ordinance because Jesus commanded it to us. So do this in remembrance of me. And what we are remembering in particular is his sacrifice for us, his death on the cross. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood spilled for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And today we come exactly for that, to remember what he has provided for us. To honor Him and to commit to Him. We also talk about this as a sacrament because in the act itself, there is something sacred that is happening. And it is that grace and love that we are receiving from God. And yet it doesn't end there. At least it shouldn't end there. Because it's a matter of us sharing it then with one another as well. And not just the people in this room, but as we go out, we share it with all others. So it becomes what we receive from God is passed on. We become the distribution channel of God's love to this world. That they may see, that they may hear, that they may know. Today we're going to come... Basically, as we have done many times before, if you can, um, as when we do this, you, you come to the aisle here, and we'll try to make uh, we'll try to make one line, okay? So that we'll come and take the elements, and then go either way, though, then back to your chairs, and uh, hold that then until everybody has received the elements, and we'll take them all together as a group. I've asked the Zepkis to come, and they will actually help in the distribution of this. So the Apostle Paul talks about communion in 1 Corinthians 11. He's trying to teach a new church how to go about it. And he says, on the night in which he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. 
and gave thanks and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, he took the cup. This is the cup of the new covenant. Shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what you have provided for us. Your love, your grace, your mercy, all shown to us, especially through Jesus Christ and what he, he gave us through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so, Father, we come humbly before you now to receive afresh from your hand that gift that you give us, that we may share it with those around us, the people in this room, our friends and families, our people that we work with and everybody that we meet, that they too may know of this love. Through Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come and dine, the Lord says. Come and eat. Free of charge. No money. God offers it to us that we might enjoy his blessings. Will you pray with me? Father, we bow before you just as we are with everything exposed but resting in the assurance of your love with all of our hope in you that you can release us from the problems in this world from the sin of our lives and take us and redeem not only our lives, but the world itself. That we might become your people. Your kingdom. And that your love and power will be displayed throughout all the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The prophet said, In God's words, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow came down from heaven and did not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills were burst into song before you, and all of the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, there will grow the pine. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown. For an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. Let me start with that last sentence. The thorn bush will be turned into a pine tree, the brush into a myrtle. The thorn, maybe that reminds you of something? Because when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, one of the punishments was that the earth would produce thorns. Thorns and thistles. So instead of it being an easy garden to grow, now we have weeds that we have to pull out of our gardens. 
That's one of the problems that comes to us. There is a consequence to the actions of our lives because it's not what God intended. But God's will can happen. And God says, it, my word goes out and it always produces fruit. It is always there. I want to do two things with the idea of God's will. One, I hope, will be something that frees you up. And another is something that I hope is a call to faithfulness. That's what I, the two things that this passage really is, is dealing with here. So, first of all, maybe some examples. Uh, Thursday afternoon, the uh, man that was my college roommate was killed in an automobile accident. And one of the questions we ask in a time like that or any other situation that might come up similar, was that God's will? Did God plan for that to happen? And I want to say firmly, no, it was not God's will. Just as it was not God's will for Adam and Eve to sit in the garden, just as it is not God's will for people to go to hell. God doesn't want that. God has not pre-planned who is going to hell and who is not. In fact, the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, God desires for everyone to be saved. That's his will. That's his plan. Everyone to be saved. But also... We know, and God knows, not everyone will be saved because God has given us that power to choose. We have the choice. It's up to us. We determine our future. We determine what happens to us. So if I'm riding in the car, driving the car, and there's somebody riding with me, my mother or anyone else, and I have a wreck, and it kills them and not me, should I say that it was God's will for them to die, but not God's will for me to die? No, that's not the point at all. It was an accident. It was just something that happened. Something that resulted as the way the world is, is set up now. Something that happened because of the problems that we created. But not God's will. For me, this goes back to, especially when I was a teenager, and there were several issues. One of the biggest for me, though, was where am I going to go to college? God, I want to do your will. And I, I was very serious about this. I said, I don't want to, to, to miss this. I want to do God's will. God, where do you want me to go to college? And I set up all these kinds of little situations that typically we would call fleeces. Uh, maybe we shouldn't even use that word if you know that story with Gideon. But trying to set this up. God, if you want me to do this, then let me see this happen. Or... And maybe at the same time, if, it's, if this is going to happen, then I want to see this. And what finally occurred to me is, you know, I was praying in a certain way that I would get something that I wanted out of all this situation. Not just seeking God's will, but I would, I would get something that I wanted out of it. It was kind of like a devious thing. I didn't mean to be devious, but that's kind of the way it ended up, that I was trying just to use God instead of actually seeking His, His true will. And I thought I found his will. I still do <laughs> in that regard. I made the right choice. I followed God. 
At least it worked out that way. But now I look back and you say, I say, I think God was leading me, but I'm not really sure that I could put it in those same terms. There is not one set choice that God wants me to make. Because after all, if there was only one thing, there's no choice, is there? And God has given us that freedom to choose. For me, as a teenager, I was getting so hung up. I mean, I was anxious, very agitated, trying to say, if I miss this, it's going to ruin my entire life. That's the freeing part that I want you to feel today. You can't ruin your entire life with the choices that you make. Well, I mean, (laughs) choices that you make might ruin your life, but it's not because you missed something that God had intended for you. Because no matter what you choose, God will be there. God will help you work through it. God is on your side. God loves you. And in fact, it's God who is giving you the choices to make. Will you go here? Will you go there? Will you choose this job or that job? And God is not concerned of which one it might be. In fact, I think God is out there really looking at us, hopefully like your parents looked at you. Sometimes it's not that way, I know. But hopefully like a loving parent and just saying, you have this opportunity. You have this choice. I'm for you no matter what you choose. It's just a joy to see my child living in the world. I hope that's freeing to you in that regard. That you don't have to find the one right thing that will guarantee God's favor in your life. Because God's favor will always be there as long as you look for Him. Now you might remember that this scripture also talked about seek the Lord while He may be found. Because we can put ourselves in a situation where we're not seeking the Lord anymore. Well, we, we, we just turned everything off. But as long as we are seeking Him, He responds. He is there. He will always answer us. He will always come to us. But then secondly, I hope there is a challenge there. That even if there is something that is not, or all the details of our lives are not predetermined and laid out before us where we have to find the exact path, There is the choice of faithfulness that God says to us. He is is calling us to live faithfully for Him. So that in all of our choices, in all of the things that we do, in the way that we live our lives, in the way that we spend our money, in in the things that we go and do, whether it's for pleasure or for work or for anything else, that we are doing that for His glory, for His honor. And to reflect the things that he has graciously bestowed upon us. That we will be faithful to him just as he has been faithful to us. Let me deal with one thing that is a huge problem when we read Scripture. Good Friday, they hang Jesus on the cross. 
And Jesus speaks several words while hanging there. One of the things that he does is to quote Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's an exact quote of the psalm. But what we need to really determine then is what is Jesus trying to do by quoting this psalm? I want you to first of all realize that. Sometimes when we read this in the Gospels, we, we forget that he's quoting the psalm. Uh, and I think he's quoting the psalm for a very particular reason. Psalms express our, our feelings. They express, in fact, throughout all the psalms, you can probably get just about any kind of situation, any kind of emotion, any kind of experience that we have as human beings. Somewhere in the psalms it expresses that. Jesus knew that a lot of times we feel like God has forsaken us. That's why he's quoting that psalm. For him, very possibly because he was fully human, maybe he also felt like God had forsaken him. And we feel that way sometimes too. But I want you to know that it's not reality. It was not reality for Jesus. God had not forsaken him. Jesus was being completely obedient by hanging there on the cross, by submitting himself to the death that God had planned all along. That was God's design. Jesus knew that. And God was there with him. But there are times when we sure feel like we're hanging out there all alone, isn't there? And it's exactly in those times that we need to remind ourselves that God will never leave us. God will never forsake us. Which is again another passage from the Old Testament quoted in the book of Hebrews. God Himself says, I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And that is what we share as we share the elements of communion. Jesus' presence with us through everything that we face, through any situation of our lives, through all the choices that we have to make, through whatever tragedy or whatever thing that comes to us, whatever it might be, God is with us. He will not leave us. He will not abandon us. So today the challenge for us is to turn to Him, to come to Him and receive from Him what He has for us. Come and receive the joy of the Lord, the peace of God, the love that He wants to bestow upon us. And then take that to a world that is also so desperate to hear those things, to know those things, to live those things. Will you stand with me as we pray today? Father, we open our lives to You for what You have for us individually as a people. Help us to see the hope that You are offering us and to walk it out day by day. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.